you know, let me just make a comment or two before E.W. comes up here. And, and that is that I really have been overwhelmed today. I've been, I've loved the whole conference. I think it's been awesome. And today I've just been so blessed. And I really believe something has happened um, bigger than what any of us can see. I think it was Lance, I think that re referenced, you know, that this, uh, we could look back and say that the third great awakening, I believe that this is one of the things that's making a difference. It's not the only thing, but I believe that this is a big deal. I believe something has happened in the spiritual realm. And for those of you that haven't heard, I was in Oklahoma City on March the 5th, 2021, and we were in a great service and just praising God. And I was so excited because it was my niece and nephew in Oklahoma City. They were holding this meeting and they had, I don't know, a thousand people or something that were there. And they were starting where I'm winding up after 50 years. And I was just so excited thinking, God, this is great. We're leaving the gospel in good hands. Good things are happening. And I was just praising the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, someday the people in this room will be telling the young people of their generation what it was like to be a part of the third great awakening. And I wouldn't use terminology like that. I might've said move of God or revival or something, but you know, as it's been explained here, there's a difference between a revival and an awakening because an awakening changes the culture, not just an individual. And uh, so anyway, it was just kind of a strange terminology. And I, I knew it had to be the Lord. And I said, Lord, are you saying that we're going to have a third great awakening? And he said, no, it's already here. It's already started. And you may not see that. You certainly aren't going to hear it on CNN or MSNBC or any of those things. But I believe that we are in a third great awakening. I think that what we've experienced during this conference is significant. There is an anointing. I've been sitting there and there's a number of times today that I just looked up at this phrase right here and thought, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. There's no way that a person can make these kind of things happen. God is moving. And this is a part of what he's doing. And I tell you, I am excited. I believe that as Richard was talking today, we are taking back this nation and the glory of the latter house is going to be better than that of the former. I believe if the Lord tarries another 200 and what, 46 years since we've been a nation, if he tarries another 246 years, I believe they're going to look back at this time. And they're going to say that, man, those people stood up and they fought and that we recovered and rebuilt the walls and the gates. And I think that we're a part of it. Boy, what an honor to be a part of this time. And so I thank you all for being here with us and praise God. Uh, I pray that you go back and share this with people. I'm sure that we've probably got the ability for you to get these things in like CD or DVD, USB form. Also, you can uh, go to our website. We'll have it posted and you can look at it that way. But you need to take this and share it with other people. This could be like a little spark that you take it someplace else and things catch on fire and who knows. You know, Azusa Street started really small and it just caught fire and things happened. And so I know that it's 
beyond us. It's supernatural what God's been doing. I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. And so we are really blessed to have E.W. come back and be with us. I love E.W. and Theodora. And is it this week? It's your anniversary? Tomorrow is our 52nd wedding anniversary. Tomorrow. Wow. So Theodora, thank you for sticking with this man for 52 yeah. years. That's awesome. She's done it. God bless you. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I have really been enjoying myself uh, just drinking in everything that the Lord has been pouring out. I was telling Lance that I was one of those people who was saying to my Christian friends in 2016, you're supporting who? Donald Trump. Who? I mean, everybody knows that all Christians ought to be supporting Ted Cruz. But, but the Lord was doing something that many of us did not see. And uh, as you say, I don't know what's going to happen in uh, 2024. But I really believe God has wonderful things in store for us. And I look forward to what the Lord is going to be saying to you uh, as we move ahead. Uh, I don't know whether Eric's still here. I met Eric the first time at the Ronald Reagan Library. And I didn't know him at all, but I heard about him. I heard about his books, and I had no idea how funny he was. <laughs> and I listened to him today, and you know, the guy is really, I mean, he's insightful, he's brilliant. But he's also very funny. But I, I was thinking, and as he and I were talking, we have some mutual friends. I said, wow, I'd really like to get to know this guy better and, and really become his friend. And then when I saw how he deals with his friends, I thought, uh, well, maybe not that close. <laughs> and I don't know whether Ken Davis is still here, but Ken stood up with you, Mark, and said, uh, you know, we can, we can call ourselves Christian nationally. He said, E.W. and I can do that. He said, you all will understand why. And I thought to myself, we can't really call ourselves Christian nationalists with any more impunity than anybody else. But then I thought, you know, you haven't lived until you've been called a black white supremacist. <laughs> you know you must be doing something right. <laughs> well, praise God. It is an honor to be here. And uh, I want to get out of the way of my, my friend Mario uh, because I know the Lord has something to say through him. Uh, my organization treats September as Celebrate American History Month, and we've been doing that right here with the, with the 911 commemoration, we've got uh, Constitution Day coming up on September 17th. Uh, so I hope all of you are aware of that. And as we talk to people about who we are as Americans, that we remind them that our history really is illustrious, that it is noble, that we're not perfect people, no, but the world is not a perfect place. And uh, comparing America to the rest of the world, uh, as somebody was just saying, if you've ever lived other places in the world, and I don't care where you're talking about, this is the greatest place on earth to fulfill your God-given gifts and talents and abilities and to make something of yourself. All right, I want to call your attention to Hosea chapter 8, uh, and I just want to read two verses from that chapter 
the fourth verse, which says, they set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. And then the seventh verse, which says, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. Now, I really believe that our country is where we are because we have allowed ourselves to be led by godless people. And we've allowed godless leaders to lead us because misinformed Christians have either, either thought that it didn't really matter whether they got involved or not. That really wasn't the job of Christians to get all involved in politics, stay out of politics. Or, or they had the fatalistic idea, which I think I heard maybe Lance refer to earlier, that well, whatever happens, happens, and whoever ends up in office, that's who God wanted in office. But this scripture says exactly the opposite. God says, they set up kings, but not by me. In other words, people were holding office and holding authority, but God wasn't involved in their selection. God wasn't involved in their appointment. But then he goes on to say even more. He says, they made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. So God says, not only did I not select them, but even when they take office, I don't even acknowledge them as legitimate leaders. Now, here's God saying, I don't recognize illegitimate leaders and illegitimate leaders are people that I had no part in selecting. We have been called extremists and crazies for su suggesting that President Joe Biden was not legitimately elected president of the United States. And I want to tell you that as far as I am concerned, when you change the voting process using COVID as an excuse to put out drop boxes that are unmonitored where people can stuff ballots, when you change the voting procedure and allow mail-in ballots and allow people to do ballot harvesting, meaning one person goes around and collects all of these ballots, when you have unverified ballots that people have not had to verify their identity or match their signatures with their identity, when you have a story about the son of the presidential candidate censored, suppressed by the media, because that story suggests that the president is involved in an influence peddling scheme and enriching his family by taking money from our chief adversary in the world, communist China, when you have a billionaire spending $450 billion in districts buying up election officials in order to get voter turnout 
when you have all of these things happening in an election, it is not crazy to suggest that there's something wrong with that election, that there's something illegitimate about it. And I say it's the people who tell us it was the safest and most honest election in history are liars and they're the ones who are crazy, not us. Now, I, I know Joe Biden was sworn in as president and therefore he's technically president of the United States, but my Bible tells me that God does not acknowledge him because God was not involved in his selection. You know, I was asked at one time when I was running for office and the press was very interested in everything I had to say. Um, they asked me, and I don't know how this came up, they asked Ben Carson the same question. I don't know quite why they asked him either, but they asked me, would you vote for a Muslim to be president? And I said, no. And they were shocked. Isn't that Islamophobic? Isn't... I explained, America is a Judeo-Christian nation. People can vote for whomever they choose. But as far as I am concerned, I would not vote for someone to be president whose values do not comport with our values as a Judeo-Christian nation. In other words, I don't believe God would be involved in the selection of such a person either, and therefore I'm not gonna get involved in the selection of such a person. I'll tell you something, God had to deal with me about Donald Trump but God showed me that he needed a fighter in the White House who was going to stand up for things that even some Christians wouldn't stand up for, and God selected him to lead this country. But by the way, just to be fair, I wouldn't vote for a homosexual. I wouldn't vote for a transgender. I wouldn't vote for a witch. I wouldn't vote for a Satanist to be president. I think it's time we stop voting for these godless people to lead our country and lead our communities and ask God to help us select people that know and love him. Now, believe it or not, there is a candidate by the name of Steve Hill who is running for state senate in California right now. He happens to be black and he is an openly declared Satanist. He has on his license plate the number four and Satan. In fact, he has said just to get it out of the way, and I'm quoting him now, he says, just to get it out of the way, if this is what it takes to get people to understand how serious I am and to pay attention to me, he said, quote, I am the devil. Well, needless to say, I'm not voting for him either if he were on the ballot. But let me go beyond that and say this. I'm not 
not voting for any Democrat who runs for office because even if they say they're moderate like Joe Manchin or they say that they're okay and they say they share my values, I don't trust what their party stands for and I'm not voting for anybody aligned with that platform. So we have an important election coming up and we should not be setting up people who God's not involved with and who God will not acknowledge. And see, part of our problem is Christians have voted for people because they're Democrat or voted for people because they're Republican. And by the way, I don't think it's any better to vote for somebody because they're Republican than it is to vote for somebody because they're Democrat. Amen. We should want to know what they stand for. Yes. What are your core uncompromising values? What is it that you're willing to die for? What is it that moves you? What is it that you stand for? Not what party are you a member of primarily. We had a Republican in the 5th District of Virginia who replaced a friend of mine uh, who ended up resigning suddenly because he had some personal problems and they replaced him with another candidate and he won and as soon as he got elected, the first official act he did was to perform a same-sex ceremony. Republican. And then, of course, he happened to be a liquor manufacturer or, or maker and they say he spent all his time in Congress trying to figure out how to make life easier for liquor makers. Well, he, would, he didn't live in my district, but if it had been a candidate in my district, I wouldn't have voted for him. Say, well, well, wait a minute, Bishop Jackson, what if you've got a Republican and a Democrat on the ticket, don't you have to make a choice? I say, yeah, I'd write in the name of Jesus because he's who I'm voting for ultimately anyway. I want somebody who stands with him. There are times I can't vote in good conscience for any candidate if the candidates on the ballot are against the things that I know God wants me to stand for. I don't care what label you have behind your name. If you are pro-abortion, if you believe in the killing of unborn babies, I am not voting for you. Now, Barack Obama got elected as the first black president of the United States of America in what the left tells us is a white supremacist and racist country. But the fact of the matter is, Barack Obama got elected because he's black. He got elected because he is black. Now, he has some attributes. I mean, he's, he, 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 could, he could read a teleprompter well. Something Joe Biden apparently can't do. <laughs> and you know, he looked good as, I remember Geraldo uh, describing him as too cool for school. But I had Republicans tell me, well, you know, I'm gonna vote for him because it's time. Time for what? Well, it's just time that we had a black president. You know, one of the things I hate is this phrase, well, I, I, I want somebody who looks like me. Well, what, what in the world does that mean? 
You want somebody in your exact complexion? You realize how vacuous that is, how empty that is, how silly that is? And yet a lot of people voted for Barack Obama simply because, quote unquote, he looks like me. And yet that man sat in Rick Warren's church in his debate with John McCain and was asked, do you believe in same-sex marriage? And he lied through his teeth. And he said, no, I'm a Christian and, and I don't believe in same-sex marriage. I believe that marriage is a union between one man and one woman. Now his team knew he was lying. The homosexual community knew he was lying. Everybody from Chicago knew he was lying. And any discerning Christian knew he was lying because his track record showed that he was about as far left as you could get. And I knew that he was in favor of same-sex marriage. But he lied about it and then went through this charade. I'm wrestling with it. Y'all remember that? Joe Biden came out and said, yes, I think it's time that we made same-sex marriage the law of the land. And then Barack Obama said, well, I'm wrestling with it, I'm wrestling with it, just lying through his teeth. And then finally said, yeah, I've come to the conclusion after wrestling with it. I don't know what he was wrestling with. He certainly wasn't wrestling with the Bible because <laughs> the Bible's quite clear. But then again, he was a person who said, I draw from many traditions for my devotionals, the Bhagavad Gita and the I Ching and, you know, whatever idolatrous mess he could find. And so he finally wrestled with it and came to the conclusion it was the right thing. And it's quite to the contrary of a person whose conscience was, was maybe conflicted when the Supreme Court handed down the Obergefell decision, Barack Obama lit the White House in rainbow colors to celebrate same-sex marriage being the law of the land. To me, it was like shaking his fist before God and saying, see, we're doing whatever we want to do and too bad if you don't like it. He, he lit up the White House with rainbow colors as if to say to all of us, this is where I'm going. And this man who claimed to be conflicted, are you all aware that he used our foreign aid in Africa and the Caribbean to try to force African and Caribbean nations to go along with same-sex marriage? His first visit to Senegal, the first thing he brought up with the president of Senegal, the first thing was, when are you all going to embrace same-sex marriage and when are you all going to embrace gay rights? Thank God, in spite of the fact that Africa may be lagging in many ways, those African and Caribbean leaders told him, you can take your sexual deviancy back where you came from. We're not going along with it. So I got criticized because somebody asked me in an interview, so you're a minister? Uh, first of all, and you're black, why don't you support Barack Obama? I said, because I don't owe my first allegiance to a skin color. I owe my first allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And since Barack Obama is not following Jesus, I'm not following him. And I don't care who you are, what the color of your skin is, if you are against the things that the word of God stands for, I am against you and I'm not making any apologies for it either. And the person said, well, wait a minute, Barack Obama is a Christian. I said, if you believe that Barack Obama is a Christian, you're as big a fool as he is. 
my brothers and sisters, we have to select leaders who God approves. Barack Obama, I'm not picking on him, but I want to use him as an example because unlike these last few elections, he was elected overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly. He was the sole champion in Illinois before he left against the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. And that was an act, I'm sure you all recognize the name, it's been passed in other states, it's been repealed in New York or something equivalent. And it was all that simply said, if you seek to abort a child and that child is inadvertently born alive, by law, you must give that child medical care. To not do so is murder. Barack Obama single-handedly opposed that legislation. And his reasoning was, well, if you allow the baby to live, you are frustrating the will of the mother and the will of the mother and her doctors must be paramount. In other words, even if the baby is alive, let it die. Ralph Northam, our former governor of Virginia, wasn't the first person to say that. Barack Obama was the first person to say that. And you mean to tell me you expect because he simply has dark color skin, you expect that I am going to support him? No, I'm going to stand up for the principles of the word of God. I'm not going to stand with what I know is evil. And that, my brothers and sisters, is not just a political disagreement. That is good versus evil. So we've got to stand up for people based upon what the Lord tells us is important. And we need to look deeper than party affiliation or skin color. When I was running for office, I was in Southwest Virginia and I was meeting with some farmers down there. And I met a guy who was a few years older than me, but we got to talking about our upbringing. Now he's raised on a farm in Southwest Virginia. I'm raised in the urban center of Chester, Pennsylvania, an industrial town. And we got to talking about the things our dads taught us. And we laughed, we looked at each other and laughed. We said, you know what, I, our fathers knew each other, didn't they? <laughs> because we understood that there was something that united us that was deeper than politics. It was about the values that we held and held dear that have been instilled in us. See, I don't want somebody to represent me because they look like me. I want somebody who shares my values. I want somebody who has my convictions. I want somebody who represents the principles that I believe are most important. I want somebody who has convictions like mine. That's what I'm looking for. People want to divide us by skin color and divide us by all of these superficial denominational things. Look, you and I are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what complexion you are. I don't care what your, 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 your ancestral origins are. If you believe that Jesus Christ 
came to this earth as God, born of a virgin, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. If you believe that he walked this sinful earth and lived a perfect life and never did anything wrong, if you believe that he went up on the cross for your sins and died there, bled and died there for your sins, that they buried him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, that he went down in the hell, but on the third day he rose with all power in his hands. You are my brother. You are my sister. We are one family in the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is in all and over all and through all. And we are the people of the living God. Dr. Martin Luther King said it's not the color of the skin. It's the content of the character. Now, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, going through 17, or actually going through 18, I want to share this with you because it's something I believe many Christians have missed in this. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. For all, one died for all, regardless of their complexion, regardless of where they came from. One died for all. He says in the 15th verse, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, now listen to this. This is the 16th verse, and you know what it's the prelude to. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. This is Paul writing, who had seen Christ Jesus. He said, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You realize it's a sin for people to be obsessed with skin. It is against the will of God. You know, there's no black heaven, there's no white heaven, there's no Asian heaven, there's no Indian heaven. There is one heaven that we're all going to be in. And when we stand before God, we're not going to be able to plead our ethnic heritage. I said to, to a, a, a black audience one time, I said, it's going to be kind of hard to plead your blackness when you stand before God in judgment when you don't have that body with you. He is the father of spirits. We just live in these houses, but who we really are is who we are down on the inside. Now, I want you to see the 17th verse in light of what we just read. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's not thinking by the flesh. He's not looking by the flesh. He's not operating by the flesh. He's not obsessed over skin color and complexion and where you came from and all of that. All things, those old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. Hallelujah. I keep hearing, you know, we need to have a discussion. We need to have a, we need to have a discussion about race. I tell people, you know, we've been discussing race since the first settlers arrived in this country. We don't need to have more discussion. We need to go back to the word of God and follow that. 
Because that's really the answer. Because the, the, the problem is not the skin, the problem is the sin. I said this before, maybe you remember this, but if God waved his hand across the whole earth, made all of us the same complexion, gave us the same hair texture, and left one difference, some blue eyes, some brown eyes, some gray eyes, some hazel eyes, some darker eyes, it wouldn't be long before the hazel-eyed tribe would be getting together talking about how those green-eyed people looked at us when we walked in the door. We need to have a hazel-eyed movement. My brothers and sisters, I have had it with these godless, cowardly, flesh-obsessed leaders who don't know anything about God, don't care anything about God, and purport to know how to lead this country. We've got to vote these people out of office and get some people in there who are going to do right according to the word. We need leaders like Daniel. Daniel read the head handwriting on the wall and he told Nebuchadnezzar, God has weighed you in the balance and found you lacking. I want some leaders who will look Joe Biden in the eye and anybody else in the eye who is holding office and leading us in a godless direction and say the Lord has weighed you in the balance and found you wanting and you are going to be removed from your position of authority by the hand of Almighty God. <laughs> leaders like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and know what to do. Leaders that God has called and anointed who can stand up and say, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me to preach glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to give unto all them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I want leaders in office who are willing to say, as it says in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want leaders who want to follow God and are willing to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want leaders who are not afraid of their own shadow, not afraid of their party, not afraid of some racial group, not afraid of some lobbying group, 
but leaders who say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock and lift my head up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praise unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and help me. For when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, Lord, will I seek. I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I want leaders who think like that not the ones that we've got. I want leaders who are prayer warriors. I want leaders who know how to pray and say, God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways that I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. I want leaders who say, my faith, my hope, my expectation for the future is not based on my Harvard degree, my Yale degree, my Columbia, my degree, your Columbia degree, or any other degree. It's not based on my pedigree, not based on my family name, not based on my wealth, not based on what's in my bank account, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Do I have a witness here? those kinds of leaders and Father God in the name of Jesus we're going to praise you we're going to rejoice we're going to believe we're going to work because we know that we've already got the victory because Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting Father the Prince of Peace and one day every eye will behold him every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.